Hello and welcome to this episode of the Enterprising Gen Z podcast. This is the weekly show where we talk to some of the top entrepreneurs and industry professionals from around the world to inspire the next generation of young founders. My name is Sam Watson. I'm an 18 year old entrepreneur from North London, now living in Paris. I'm the CEO and founder of Enterprising Gen Z Events. We're an events company with a bit of a difference. We take the value of the podcast and bring it into real life and also allow companies to market their products towards the top young founders and entrepreneurs. Now, obviously I run an events company and I thought it would be good to kind of delve into events a bit more. It's not really a topic that we've covered on the show a lot. So that's why on this episode, I'm talking to Adam Shaw. He has a ton of experience in the events industry and he is also the co-founder of Ace Funding. Now, what Adam did was give the opportunity to startups to raise money through events. On this episode, we're going to discuss a number of things. Why every single company should be putting on events and also the top tips to raise funding for startups. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, if you do enjoy this episode, please feel free to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening from. Thank you so much and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Adam. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Sam. A pleasure to be uh, joining you today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, so a mutual connection of ours, uh, Richard Selwyn Barnett, uh, introduced me to you. We had a brief chat on the phone a couple of days ago, um, and you gave me a really a couple of really interesting things which I wanted to talk about today, and we'll go into those later. But to start off, I really just wanted to um, give you the opportunity just to say kind of who you are and what you do. Well, that's a, that's a um, great question, Sam. And the real answer to that is it really depends who's asking and what context, because I guess I've, um, I've jumped from so many different planes um, and, and different backgrounds. So my background, my main background is nursing, and I went into alternative health and well-being. So I've worked on the front line of the NHS and on three different continents, um, tested my nursing skills. And I've just really brought that into business. I left nursing because I sort of jumped before I was pushed um, because I was highlighting some bad practices, um, which made my uh, role within it not very sustainable. And I was a late comer to the business world. So um, when I first got in, um, I was doing a bit of consultancy for health and well-being, um, especially alternative health and mind-body medicine. And... I then found an investor, uh, I got together with him, and I decided I wanted to work with someone else. So we co-founded a company based on the feedback of uh, about 100 of his business contacts. And the area that they most struggled with was raising funding for their business. So uh, we had a very steep learning curve in what that meant and, and went on to build a funding ecosystem through events. And events is where I've really found my flow. Um, I've done a lot of training in public speaking. Um, I, I believe the ability to speak on stage is really important. And that naturally flourishes in the world of events. So that underpins everything that I do, um, all of my backgrounds, all of my skill set um, into running, engaging and fun events. It's interesting you mention a career change. Um, and actually, I think it's something that's quite common at the moment. I speak to lots of mainly people um, people who are more experienced who, who want a career change into entrepreneurship or into business. You mentioned working as a nurse for the NHS. What kind of what kind of spurred you to leave that profession and then into more of an entrepreneurial or, uh, you know, start your own business? What kind of made you want to do that? 
Um, well, that's uh, another good question. I don't know how much controversy I, uh, you want me to stir up on the, on the answer to this one. <laughs> the very short version was that there's a lot of bad practice that was happening while I was in the NHS at the hospitals I was at at the time I was there. And uh, I'd gone through a system where, you know, we, we were sort of, it was almost a given that you don't you don't drop anyone in it. You don't take problems outside of that. You suck it all up and you ignore a lot of bad things that happen within the NHS. And there really are some horrendous stuff that goes on inside there, if you know it inside out. And the short version is I became uh, increasingly verbal, um, ruffling feathers at the highest level when I saw bad practice. And um, it pretty much, I may as well have targeted, ta tattooed a target on my forehead because then the senior management started coming out for me when uh, they realized that the feathers were being ruffled and the bad practice was being called out. So although I was very popular with the staff, um, it was a case of everyone was with me until it came time to argue the case when the senior management would arrive down. I'd have lots of backup right until the point where it came to go nose to nose with them. And then I found that that was a very lonely place. So I thought, you know, this is not going to be any good for my own well-being, for my own stress levels. I didn't have a backup plan. I had zero exit plan, but I, I decided I needed to get out for my own sanity and well-being so I sort of jumped before I was pushed um, right into the deep end of, of the world of business and being an entrepreneur. So you funded um, ACE funding in 2013 now I read over your LinkedIn profile just before we started the interview and one key thing that I took away from it was as part of ACE funding you were preparing clients um, who were pitching for funding what advice would you give for entrepreneurs um, kind of a, a, a basic level of how to prepare yourself uh, for a pitch for funding? That's a great question, Sam, and that, that, that's an area that I work in. Um, the world of funding is different to any other public speaking environment um, because usually if you're on stage as, as a speaker, you can, you can speak as long as you like, you can tell stories, you can, you can beat around the bush if you want as long as you come back to a central point. In the world of pitching for funding, if you go off point, if you don't answer the question, if you try and give a smart answer, um, it works against you. So the, the very good, I mean, the, a bullet pointed list of things to do with funding pitch. Um, the first thing is prepare. Um, know all of the hard questions that are coming your way. And you can do that by watching a few episodes of Dragon's Den or Shark Tank. They're always going to want to know about the numbers. They're always going to want to know about the traction that you have. They'll want to know the size of your community. They'll want to know um, what you've achieved. They'll want to know partnerships in place. And they'll certainly want to know turnover and figures. And if you can't answer them straight away with a number, um, you're already um, nosediving downhill. Uh, I see a lot of people acting like politicians. And, and when a difficult question comes their way, they try and divert it by saying something else that's toxic in a funding pitch if you don't know or you know that there's tough questions coming that you don't have good answers to the way to do it is to prepare good answers um, or to get better answers so i mean that would be the sort of bullet pointed list uh, just keep it keep it succinct if i was to underscore all of that advice in one thing keep it succinct 
It's interesting you mentioned Dragon's Den and Shark Tank. I'm constantly consuming that content all the time. I'd say probably I, I spend about 30, 40 minutes every day watching those uh, like Shark Tank and Dragon's Den clips just for entertainment purposes, really. And some of the interview, some of the, the pictures I, I look at, I find them really cringy because they don't know their stuff. It really is the case. It's, it's a completely different preparation to go into a funding pitch than any other public speaking um, gig for certain. And that's great training for you, Sam. If you're watching Dragon's Den every day, then that is brilliant. Um, if you if you want to mix entertainment with good learning experience, then Dragon's Den or Shark Tank is that, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're going to be seeking funding at some stage. I completely agree. So I want to move to the event side of, of what you do now. You said something really interesting on our phone call, um, when the phone call we had the other day, and it was that you use events to open doors. So I'm going to leave this question quite open. One of the things I want to ask is how can entrepreneurs use events to open doors? Um, well, it's, it's easy. I mean, create your own event. Um, it can be general networking. There can be a topic. You can get some speakers in. You know, most speakers um, are, are, are more than willing to go to an event and and, and meet new, new clients or new target audience potentially. So, um, I mean, it's been very easy for me coming from nursing because I'm always thinking of the win-win. Um, I found that in business, a lot of people approach me and all they talk about is how I can help them and what's in it for them. Um, and, and coming from a nurse background, uh, it's always my case of, of to build rapport first and to find out you know, what's important to the other person. So for example, when we ran our first day's funding event, we asked ourselves who would have access to great venues and want to be in front of the target audience that we're going to um, invite. And the obvious solution um, for us at the time was law firms. So we went to a law firm um, in central London, um, quite a nice one, um, with a brilliant venue, and asked them if they would be interested in, um, in us inviting um, 100 high net worth clients or investors to their premises for a pitching event and they almost bit our hand off. So we had a venue, um, they sponsored with the drinks and the canapes, they put on a fabulous event. And our only role was to uh, to get people in the room and to run an engaging um, evening, uh, which is my background and skill set. So it was very easy. Um, and obviously keep the content relevant and keep it sharp. And not only that, but make it relevant to the investors. So um, nobody wants to sit in a room and listen to people talk for hours and hours and hours. Um, nobody wants to do that. Um, so you've got to make the event part really sharp and, and, and succinct. And what we did was, was allowed a lot of time for networking. The networking is where all of the gems happen. It's where all of the um, business happens. And as long as you provide um, uh, plenty of time for people in the uh, event space to go out and network, the law firm won because they sent six of their um, staff to network with the people in the room that night. Uh, we won because uh, we were then associated with a really good event, um, a nice venue. And the, <laughs> I said that we got it for free. The only thing that we had to actually pay for was the pop-up banner that we created for that event. Everything else 
uh, we managed to um, to outsource because we just understood what what our partners wanted, what was in it for them. And as long as it's a win-win for everybody, then um, it's possible to never pay for an event venue ever. It's interesting you mentioned that because we're in a similar space. So obviously I run Enterprising Gen Z events and I've spoken about that on previous episodes of the show. Events are such a good business model and there's there's quite a bit of money to be made in them because um, if you're putting a business in front of essentially their target market, the impressions that are created through the events are much more powerful than social media impressions or, or Google ad impressions, for example. You mentioned sponsorship and investments. And in my experience of looking for sponsors for events, that's something that can be quite challenging. It's quite difficult to target the right businesses. You mentioned law firms. Are there any other industries or any tips that you'd give for people who want to get out in the events industry to be able to find sponsors uh, for their events? Absolutely. I mean, you just have to ask yourself, Sam, who is who is looking for your target audience? So I'm guessing that your audience would be a younger generation. Um, and that's great of young entrepreneurs. So who would want access to them, for example? Well, the first thing that would pop into my mind there would be banks. Because, you know, banks understand the, uh, the, 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 the benefits of engaging the younger generation, that if you get a client on board, then they could well be a client for life. So banks are running events for entrepreneurs. They're trying to attract a younger audience. Um, they're trying to attract new customers and they're doing that through trying to add value. So if you were to say, well, you know, we're, these are all early stage business owners of, of, of Gen Z, then, I mean, that, to, that would be, I would imagine, to the right person in the banking industry, um, an absolute goldmine uh, for them to want to work with. So, I mean, that's how you start the conversations. LinkedIn is a phenomenal place. And as you know, um, Richard connected the two of us. Um, he's one of the best connectors there is and one of the, the guys with the biggest hearts and, and, and just a lovely guy in general. And if you focus on people, good people, and they like you, they will just open their network for you and, and, and the world becomes a, a whole lot smaller. So my advice would be focus on the relationship and focus what's in it for them. So if you're going to a company and you want something from them, um, it's always good to start off more general, have a conversation and find out what they're looking for. Because if you find out what they're looking for be before you start telling them what you're looking for, um, making that all connect together nicely is a whole lot easier. So I mean, that would be my thing. Join groups, run groups, start them on WhatsApp or Telegram or, or do what you're doing, Sam. You know, podcasts, build your audience, get your reputation there and put it out there. I mean, there's nothing that to stop you from going out to your target audience now saying, right, we want to do a huge event for Gen Z. Does anyone know any sponsors who would want to host a room full of people of this target audience of this demographic um, so it's all about exploring the win-win and being genuinely interested in you know what your potential partners are looking for and what makes them tick you couldn't be more more uh, right when you talk about banking. Loads of uh, banks have got neo banks for just for startups like uh, Metal uh, uh, f uh, as a neo bank of NatWest springs to mind immediately. 
them for investment into into a networking event would be super beneficial for them um you know because they get access to a lifetime's worth uh of of young entrepreneurs wanting to bank with them who who maybe don't have startup banks I want to ask this question only because I'm personally interested in it. Do you think that every business should be running events? Well, that's a really good question. I think that any business that isn't running events needs to have an incredible social media presence or be doing something else very, very well in another area. So, I mean, let's let's say, I mean, if you're a um, if you're a company but you're not in the UK or you're not able to get to physical events, then I mean, A, you could be running virtual events. The metaverse is changing the way that people network now, and it's changing the whole world. So, you know, keeping up with the latest trends and knowing what's happening is important. So whilst I wouldn't say, yes, every business has to do it, I'd say if you're not doing it, then you need, um, you know, a very good alternative strategy to get in front of people and to build up relationships some people can do that on social media, but I guess I'm a little bit old school um, uh, of the next generation or the old generation. And in my world, nothing beats face to face. You can talk online, you can have conversations on the phone, um, can even do stuff like this, the podcasting. But in my experience, um, all of the best relationships generally get consolidated when people get face to face. I agree with you. I spoke about this the last episode. I went to my first ever networking event when I was 17 and the connections that I, I, I forged just during that, that short event, I still talk to today and they're really, really valuable connections. I agree that it's potentially not all, all businesses should be running networking events, but I do think it's so, so valuable. And I mentioned earlier, the impressions from a networking event are so much more valuable um, than other potentially social media impressions and, and things like that. You're quite involved in the NFT and, and, and the blockchain space. And that's a topic that I've spoken about briefly on the show in the in the first few episodes, really. I haven't really touched on the subject since then. Do you want to chat about briefly just about you, what your involvement is in, in the NFT and the blockchain space? For sure. So, I mean, I advise companies on how to raise funds, specifically how to pitch for funding. So, I mean, it's really important to say that I'm not FCA regulated, but I I am an advisor and my skill set is mainly to do with pitching for funding. So um, I have to do the obligatory, this is an investment advice bit that, um, that usually goes with it. But I do guide people and point them in the right direction and nine out of ten startups at least aren't ready for funding so what i do is i signpost them in the right direction and just try and help people so 90 percent of my business is giving free advice and pointing people in the right direction so that i can spend 10 percent of the time um, finding you know with my with my target audience um, where i make my money so that's how I, uh, you've got to give, give to get in my world. And that's very much uh, ties into the nursing mentality. Now I'd heard that NFTs could be used to raise money and no one seemed to be able to explain it to me. So one month ago, I knew nothing about NFTs, Sam. I mean, that's the important thing to know. And I decided that there was no, I couldn't find any videos that explained it simply to me. So I decided, well, do you know what? Maybe I should get my 
uh, mobile camera and film myself, just find out how to raise, raise money with NFTs and do my own documentary. I mean, a very low budget, um, so patched, patched together by myself. Um, and I thought it'd be fun. So I reached out to all of the event companies that were running NFT events. And it was incredible. I was just handed um, free press passes by most of them. I was suddenly found myself catapulted right into the thick of things with me and my camera recording interviews with people that were in the NFT space, learning from them. I'm still learning. And, you know, I find this area very exciting. Um, I think it is going to be game-changing technology. And because I started that journey, um, I hosted my own event last week, which was a very small event. And at that event was um, the partnership manager from a much bigger um, organization called Zebu Digital that are running a huge event at the end of the month. We've got some huge speakers in, um, in the industry there and they watched me in action and they've asked me to come in and moderate the panel. Now that's a real honor for me. So I've gone from knowing absolutely nothing about NFTs to utilizing events to get in front of some of the biggest names of the industry at the end of this month. So that's how quickly things can turn around um, when you use events as the vehicle to connect with the right people. At the very start of your answer to that question that I just asked, you mentioned helping startups get ready for funding. How would you advise startups to get ready and to be in the position where they're likely to receive funding? What, what advice would you give there? Well, what I'd say is that an idea is not enough. Um, so many people come to me and all they've got is an idea. They've written it down. They, they've worked out how, mu how much they'd need in wages um, to get their team together and put it all out there. That's never going to get funded, um, not by an investor. And the reason is that most people don't put themselves in the investor's position. You know, what would you want to see? What do investors want to see? They want to see that there's an audience waiting for the product and a demand for it. The big mistake that most companies make is they create a product and then they go out and find out if there's a market for it. That's totally the wrong way to do it. So many people, I think it's about 40% of businesses go under because there's no market for their product. So the first thing is to be sure that there's a market for your product. And that doesn't involve, you know, your mates telling you, oh, that sounds like a brilliant idea, or your mum telling you, wow, that could change the world. You know, if there's not a target audience, if you don't have a massive following of people that you're running it by and they're saying, we want this, we want this product, this is the missing link. You know, so let's look at crypto at the moment. It's a minefield. There's no regulation in there. There's so many things that need to change. There's so many opportunities for innovation in that space right now. Um, but you've got to find a problem that people have, you know, that's causing pain. What would you pay for? What is missing in that field that people would pay for right now? And in crypto, there's loads of things that are causing problems. And so it's a real it's a it's a minefield, but it's a huge opportunity for 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 the next generation to get in there and solve problems that people have. Or to see opportunities. So 
I mean, I'm seeing firms now that are seeing that big firms from the Web2 space, like huge firms, they know nothing about NFTs, a lot of them. And they're going in and acting as consultants to take their content and put it on Web3 so they can make more money from it. Now, it's that sort of innovation and first-to-market thinking that can really help people move forward. But there has to be a target market. And there has to be a really slick pitch. Why would people put money into it? Why do they need you there? So many people, they don't factor that in. What makes you indispensable to the business? What would stop me as an investor just throwing 10 million at that and um, completely removing you from the situation? Why do I need you? So if you don't have a patent, if you don't have any IP, if you don't have a platform ready to go, if you don't have an audience already built asking for what you're doing, then you're probably dead in the water before you begin. So traction is the key here. You know, there has to be a demand and there has to be something truly unique about what you're doing. And if you can't find those two things, then it's probably not going to work. In my experience of being around businesses who are going through the process of receiving funding and also have received funding, lots of the investors seem to be kind of personal connections. I don't know if that's something that that you would uh, advise entrepreneurs to stay away from getting, you know, personal connections or, you know, ex-colleagues to invest in. I, I'm thinking of one example. I won't name them, but <clears throat> um, the investor actually was an ex-client of theirs. Do you think the best investors are personal connections or do you think it's better to go out and really, uh, what's the word, kind of go out and forge a relationship with an investor to try and find investment? That's a really good question, Sam, a really good question. And there's sort of multiple factors that go into that. So the first thing is, if you have a track record and you're pretty much guaranteed that if you get the money that you're going to make the business work, then I'd say get anybody on board. It doesn't really matter. But if you're coming out of university, you've got no track record, nobody knows you, then it's going to be really hard to build up a relationship from scratch and convince an investor that you're investable, especially without a track record. So what I advise early stage businesses to do is to build your advisory board, find experienced individuals that do have the track record and get them on your advisory team. There's a lot of people, especially if they've retired, that will do it just because they want to give something back. It doesn't necessarily, it's not going to cost you a load of money to get a really experienced advisory board there. If you've got a really experienced advisory board, um, the odds are that they won't just add to your kudos when you're approaching funders. But if they really, truly believe in the project, then you can tap into their investment network. So this is really about thinking outside of the box here. It's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing to go to your friends and family, but most startup money comes from there because they can't get it from anywhere else. Most startups are self-funded or friends and family. That constitutes most of the startup funding that people get. So is it a good idea? Well, it's a very good idea if you're founding the next unicorn. It's a terrible idea if your business is going to go under because then you've now leveraged all of your relationships to raise money for a business that then goes under. And that's going to test any friendship and any relationship. So it's a risk. It's not for the faint hearted. 
for most people starting up a business, I would advise against it. It's, it's very unsafe. It's very unstable, especially in the startup realm. And if you don't have a good team around you, supreme confidence and a brilliant business idea, then it's probably best to stay away from it. But if you have all of those three things, I'd say absolutely go for it. There's no limit to who you could approach for funding if you're in that boat. I definitely agree with you. Um, in your experience, you know, with uh, ACE funding and, and, and your experience of finding entrepreneurs uh, to get investment, which types of businesses in your experience are most likely to receive funding? Anyone that's got um, a patent, that helps. That's that, really interesting. That tells me straight away. Do you see how if I say, look, I've got a business, it's got a patent, straight away as an investor, I think, well, it, must, it really must be something truly unique. It gets me to take it a lot more serious. And if you haven't got a patent, um, what's the other sort of stuff that would make me pay attention really quickly? I'll tell you what, if you said, well, I've already got a Twitter account with a 50,000 people following it, straight away, that's kudos. Or I've already got relationships with um, with people that want the product that I've done. I've done some market testing. And if I created this, every school in the country, I, I've already spoken to 500 schools and 350 of them have said, if I can create this product and it does what I say that it's going to do, that they will be my clients. You know, that you've shown you've done some market research. You've shown that there's a target audience. You've shown that you're, you're thinking like an investor. They want traction. A good idea is not enough. It's nice to have a vision. It's good to have a reason why. I mean, that is important. But when it comes to attracting investment, nothing beats traction and nothing beats um, having the infrastructure in place to prove that if you get the money, that you know how to make it work that you've got the right partnerships in place, that you've thought through the business idea from an investor perspective, and that you've had sufficient amount of conversations to be able to show them that there's a ready-made infrastructure ready to go as soon as the funding gets in. But I see so many pitches saying, well, I've, got, I've spoken to this person and they'll work for this amount of money. I've spoken to that person, they'll work for that amount of money. And as soon as we get the money in, we'll go for it. And I'll ask them, well, what have you done now? What are you doing now? And they're doing nothing because there's no money there. That's almost definitely you're never going to raise money if that's the position that you're in. You need to be able to progress the business um, even whilst you're waiting for funding. You should never stop. And so many people um, don't realize that raising funding can be a full-time role. And they stopped doing everything else in their business because they didn't realize that before. And they're going in with a bad pitch. So always test your pitch, always get feedback, and always um, build your advisory team if you lack the experience um, to get funded initially. So as I mentioned earlier, I was just quickly looking through your, uh, your LinkedIn profile and I saw when you co-founded Ace Funding, you co-founded it with Lord David Evans. Now I'm interested about what it's like going into business with a Lord and if maybe going with a Lord actually helped you open doors that otherwise may have remained shut. Oh, for sure. Uh, so it comes with a good and a bad side, um, Sam. I mean, the good side is, yes, it definitely opens doors. Um, when we were going to the top level funders and with an invite, 
we used to make our events exclusive. You couldn't get in unless we'd given you a personal invite. And when you're sending out personal invites to exclusive events that start off, Lord David Evans of Watford invites you to an evening of, you can put anything after that. And I was just blown away at the acceptance rate. Usually, if I'm promoting one of my other events, you know, outside of ACE funding, if if um, if five percent of the people you send the invites to turn up, you've had a really good, really good conversion rate. Um, in that environment, we had about an eighty-five percent conversion rate, and the fifteen percent, it wasn't like they they didn't want to come. They were either out of the country or they couldn't make it. And they asked us to put them on the mailing list for any future events. So, yes, it was phenomenal. It was completely uh, obscured the uh, statistics of, um, you know, the conversion of people that you were inviting to events. And not only that, but people were inviting their top level funding contacts, their friends, not because, um, well, maybe because we had a lord there and it was very prestigious, but we, we focused on making our events fun rewarding and engaging and uh, because of that networking dynamic people just enjoyed it so at ace funding in the early days people used to phone me up and ask me what funding opportunities we had but by the time um, we'd ran our first event um, the main phone calls that i was getting were people saying when's your next event they didn't care what funding opportunities we had it's like when when's your next event but obviously, the downside of that is when you are working um, connected with a company and you do have a lord on board, you know, the reputational risk is much higher. So if anything goes wrong or you get a bum funding deal or you get an opportunity, you have to realize that it's not just the company reputation, it's the reputation of the lord. So um, it came as a double-edged sword. We had to be super careful, and it was a very steep learning curve for us because um, obviously when we started, we were quite new to the funding world, and we really had to find our feet as we went along. Um, so it was it was incredible. It was brilliant. It was rewarding, um, and it was very scary at times. So <laughs> that's probably a longer answer than you needed, but uh, I, I, I hope that that uh, clarifies the, uh, the, the benefits and, and the potential fit pit, pitfalls of going into business with high-profile people. That's really interesting. Uh, I think that's all we have time for. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks a lot, Sam. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Now that is it for today's episode of the Enterprising Gen Z podcast. If you did enjoy it, please feel free to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening from. And also make sure to check out and follow our socials. We're at Enterprising Gen Z pod on TikTok and Instagram. Feel free to check out my website as well. It's egzpod.com. Now, if you want to find out how Enterprising Gen Z events can help you market your products towards some of the top founders and entrepreneurs, go ahead and send me a message on LinkedIn or head over to egzevents.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week with another episode. Goodbye.